0: Hello again to everyone. We're thankful that God's graced us with another opportunity to look in to the precious Word of God. So thankful for His truths. Thankful for His help in understanding the Scriptures. Thankful that His desire is to reveal them unto us. If God didn't want us to know, He would not have revealed in Scripture. So God help us to have that desire in our heart. To want to dig in and understand more of that word. It's not a vain thing. It's your life. It's what Moses said in Deuteronomy. So we're in Second Kings chapter 2. We We've saw Elijah and Elisha. Uh, we've seen them coming down uh, really backwards to the way that the children of Israel came. And they came and crossed over Jordan. And last time we saw Elijah ask him, What would you have before I'm taken away? And Elisha asks for that firstborn portion, that double portion of the Spirit be upon me. So, uh, that's his request. And you think about, think about the depths of that request now as Elijah has been, uh, by every, uh, really even through history, one of the most powerful men in outward displays of the glory of God that ever lived on the face of the earth. We've seen him call down fire out of heaven and devour a sacrifice covered in water. We've seen him call down fire and it consume a hundred men with their captains. We've seen this man pray and the heavens be shut for three and a half years. And we've seen this man do what's never been done before in scripture, to this point, but bring to life a boy that had died. So you talk about a man with power that God bore witness mightily. And you talk about that now. You look at the day and hour that he was in and what a dark day that it was. God called a man to fight and combat that. That man was Elijah. And so Elisha says, I want double what you've got. Boy, that's a desire and a right desire to have. God help us to always desire to have more because God's got it. He can give. God help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. However hungry I am, I believe He can fill me. And so, Elijah says, verse 10 now, chapter 2 of Second Kings, verse number 10. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So he says, you can have what you've requested. This is not an easy thing. And boy, he's not kidding. It's not Elijah's to give. If he had said, I want your mantle... Elijah could have given that to him. If he had said, I want to inherit what's yours, which Elijah probably didn't have anything, but Elijah could have given that to him. But a portion of the Spirit, that's not Elijah's to give. But we do know this, that this was the purpose of God, that Elisha be here. Because when Elisha was out plowing the field, and he was following along in his father and mother's footsteps out there being a farmer, God said to Elijah, you go anoint him. He's going to be the prophet in your room. So you, you could easily take this scripture right here and say, well, see, it was Elisha following uh, Elijah that made him to be the prophet. And you could make it about works. But you got to remember that the call of God came to Elisha back when he was in his own field. And that's where Elisha would have still been had Elijah not came by, by the direction of God himself. Elijah didn't pick out Elisha to be his follower, but God said, you go and anoint him. He's going to be the one that follows in your footsteps. Elijah, when you step out of this world, he's going to take it up and go after you. And so uh he says... If thou see me when I'm taken from thee It shall be so But if not It shall not be so So there he is He says you're going to have to be here You're going to have to stay with me You're not going to be able to leave And have the blessing of the power of God On your life You're not going to be able to divert From the word of God And God be able to bless and use you You're not going to be able And you know we've got directions Even in the New Testament That we can disqualify ourselves by the way that we live, by decisions we make, from being a, a preacher of the gospel, from being a, a deacon of the church, even, that, that we can make decisions in our life that would disqualify us from the scriptural requirements that we have in order to meet that. Well, we can also, by our life, destroy what influence that God could have through us by the way that we live. We're in a battle and a warfare and a struggle day by day with our flesh. And yea, woe unto the world for offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom they come. Just because people are going to be deceived, just because a multitude aren't going to believe, just because there's going to be offenses and stumblings, That don't mean I ought to be one to cause somebody to stumble. So may God help us, everyone, to not give somebody a cause of stumbling or to throw a stick in front of them. God forbid. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. So, and I don't think I'm going to miss one here. I believe this is all of them. That we see that are taken out of this world in a manner like this. We know that, uh, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. That's the word of God. We know that Moses, God took him. They never, they never knew where his body was. And Elijah's going to be one. They're going to carry out. Now, Elisha's not going to leave here in this manner. They're going to bury him and there's a purpose for that as well. But Elijah is carried out of heaven by a chariot and horses of fire. What an amazing picture we've got. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But his body's going to be carried out of this world by God, just as Moses's, just as Enoch's. But it's worth saying this as well, that Moses and Elijah are the two that you see on the Mount of Transfiguration. That God took their bodies out, and I'm not... Not in the least bit, we know Moses was sinful because God wouldn't let him go in because of his sin and disobedience to the commandment of God. We know that Elisha was sin, or Elijah was sinful because he ran scared from Jezebel, and ran away and said, "Just let me die and go on, so that it wasn't that their flesh was some good thing that God allowed it to go." But there was a purpose in God doing it this way so that these men, they were going to appear later conversing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They weren't dead, were they? If they were dead, how could they have appeared there? But their bodies were gone. And you know, you think, well... They were recognized because it looked like them. Well, how would Peter, James, and John have known what Moses looked like? Think about that. They weren't recognized by their natural fleshly looks, but by the illumination of God, by the words that they spoke. There they were. And there they were recognized. And what they conversed with Jesus about was about his decease that he should accomplish. You know what Moses and the prophets all through the Old Testament spoke about? They revealed the decease, the exodus, that Jesus was going to bring to pass and accomplish at Jerusalem. The crucified, risen, victorious Son of God. And so that's what we see them there. But the chariot and horseman. now we talked about chariots there in the last chapter of 1 Kings. That was something that was used in war. And indeed, a chariot and horseman was a greatly feared weapon. You know, you look at weapons through history. In World War I, the tank was a fairly new thing. In World War II, the tank changed the way battles were fought. That was a weapon of great power. And then the airplane was beginning to change the battle. It was a relatively newer thing then that was starting to come. Well, by the time you come to Vietnam and you've got Apache helicopters and F-16 fighter jets, and B-2 bombers, and B-1 bombers, you've got something that an army of tanks now can't stand up to, so that the battles and the way battles are fought is constantly changing by the weaponry at hand. Well, in this day, you had your swordsmen, you had your bowmen, you had your chariots, and your horsemen. And these chariots were, if you'll have it, they were the greatest weapon that they had in that day. They were the army tank of that day. And so when you saw a man on a chariot, that was something that brought great fear, but it was something of war. And Elisha saw it in verse 12, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. So the very chariot of Israel and the horsemen Thereof is what he proclaimed, and remember that statement. We're going to see that again at the end of Elisha's life as well. But you think about the picture there. Elijah was the very means that God used to combat and do battle with the idolatry of Israel in that day. He went to war against the deceit and false religion and idolatry and the false prophets and the king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, he fought against that day after day. He was the means that God employed to go to war with that. So when Elisha says, there's the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. There's the means that God has fought his battle against the foolishness of this world and got his word out to them that are blind and that are lost and that are deceived. This is the means that God is using to spread his precious word. How wonderful that that is. Elijah was just a man, and we see that that is By a a, a great means, that is stressed in the book of James, Elijah was a man of like passion such as we are. He was just a man, but he was the man that God used in that day. That was God's choice to use in that day, just as we are in the day and hour that we're living in. The church of the living God is God's choice that the gospel truth would go out into a world that my God is cursed with idolatry and deceivings and wickedness on every side. The church is God's choice to reach them. We're the means that God does battle With all of the false teachings and doctrines in our day, the church of the living God, the preaching of the gospel is the pillar and ground of the truth. So that it's no surprise then that the world is opposed to us. It's no surprise that the religious crowd are opposed to us because we're the means that God uses to do battle against the very lies of the devil and of the world, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now, God parted them. That was the only way that they were going to part. We got a picture of that in marriage as well, that they are to be united until, as we say in our vows, death do us part. So in a way, death, that's God parting. So that there's a bond there that can't be broken except God break it. Now that's ideally in the mind of God. That's, that's the way God said for that to be. And so these two had such a relationship. You know how they were joined? By the service of God and by the Holy Ghost. They were joined together at the heart. And how wonderful. My God, how wonderful that is that we've got some men and some women as well today that have been saved and born again that God has allowed us to be knitted together in the spirit of God and in His power and in His service. Uh, The God's truth is... 95 to 99% of my dearest friends and those that I love outside of my family, I would not have known nor been introduced to them outside of God. But what we have now in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit is a bond that's closer than anything that the world has to offer we are united in heart not by common loves or by common desires or by common thought, but we are bonded in the depths of our heart by the Spirit of the Holy God bringing us to a unity that is not shared with anything else in this world. You think about that marriage relationship Those two come together and they've got a relationship with one another that they do not have with anybody else on the face of the earth. That one person they are involved with intimately and no one else on the face of the earth. What a beautiful picture that is. Now them that are saved, that are united by the unifying spirit of God They've got a bond with one another that the rest of the world does not have. And God's going to part Elijah and Elisha here. And the only thing that can part the church in this world is death down here. And that's going to come. The best saints and the best men of God are going to die And we're going to be parted from them here. But glory to God for the day that the church is going to be gathered together complete. From Adam until the last day and the last one brought into the kingdom of God, God's going to accomplish His church and it will be perfected in heaven, complete in every sense. Everyone that God has saved will be there together to the glory of the name of the Lord never to part again. God parts us here by death. He does. And a lot of times life parts us more than we would want even in the flesh. But death's going to part us here from those that we love the most. But there... There'll be no parting of the church. She'll be together forever. So you see how that they were close and there appeared this chariot and it parted them asunder. It broke them apart and Elijah's now gone. Now here, here's the man that God used to call him. The man that he saw work all these mighty works. The man that he's been learning from and learning under. And now this man's gone, and Elisha's left to himself. Now that would be a place, if we were going to quit, that'd be the place to quit. And you can tell what's in people's hearts a lot of times, because when the man of God leaves, or when he dies, when mom and daddy leaves or they die, the children and many, they they leave as well, and they quit. But I'm going to tell you that's a sure sign that God does not dwell in their heart. Elisha cannot quit because God's got to work now for him to pick up and to carry on. Our mentors and those that God used to speak to us, those that God used to teach us, God's going to take them one day, and we're going to be left. But glory to God, the grace that God gave them, He'll give to us to continue the work that He has for us in this present world. So Elisha said, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. That was his last look at Elijah. And what a glorious victory that it was. God taking the man out. And so remember now that 50 of the sons of the prophets, they had come out in verse 7 and they stood afar off. So they're standing by Jordan on the other side. They didn't cross over. But they're standing there and they're watching this from a distance. And Elijah's carried up into heaven. And Elisha saw it. He cries. And in the last part of verse 12, he took hold of his own clothes And rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. So he rips his clothes in two pieces. And God took Elijah out of here. And whether the mantle fell to the ground. Whether it fell from heaven as Elijah was being carried out. (coughs) I don't know how that happened. But the mantle was left there. Elijah's mantle was still there. He had left something behind that could be a benefit. Now I realize here it's just a mantle. But you know, our lives, by the grace of God working in us, we can leave something behind and God help us to do so. Peter said, I'm about to leave here in Second Peter. He said, I realize my decease is coming. God's revealed that to me. I'd like to write you a letter and stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance So that when I'm gone, you can look back and remember these things that I've taught you. God help us to teach the truth. We can leave something behind that will be a help to somebody and not a hindrance. A lot of false doctrine and teaching today, that's not a help to people. When the truth comes, it's a hindrance. It keeps them from believing the truth. God forbid that we leave that behind. And so he took his clothes and rent them in two. He's laying down what he was. He's going to take up this office of the Lord. He took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elisha?" Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over now, I realize the way this sounds, sounds derogatory, sounds like Elisha don't believe. But I believe we know enough about the man by this point to know that Elisha certainly believed, and he wasn't being irreverent in calling on this. But he says, God, you've promised, you've called, now you prove that this is you. Because Elisha can't part the water. Absolutely not. He's calling on God to do His work and to prove who He is. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm called of God to preach, then God help. I ought to be able to say, God, You've called me. You help me. Those that are saved, that God has saved and called into the church, they ought to be able to say, God, give me of Your Spirit and let me testify and prove that You've called me. Mm -hmm. It's God that's doing the work. It's him that's doing the calling. Certainly we could do that. Elisha says, God, where, where are you at? Now prove yourself. Come and prove yourself. And he smites the water, just like Elijah did. And the waters parted. And when the sons of the prophets, now hear those 50 sons of the prophets that came out to watch, which were to view at Jericho saw him they said the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So what this was, they saw and witnessed and their witness could then go and be heard around the country that Elijah's gone, but God's going to work through Elisha now. Ain't that good that God leaves a testimony of that? When Moses was going to die, God had Moses say, Joshua is the next man that God's chosen. You need to follow him. So that God left this testimony so that when the end came, the people wouldn't be left without help. It's wonderful. Thank God for it. Now, God bore witness by the parting of the water. It wasn't Elisha that done that. God did that. And it was God saying, this is my man that I've chosen to take up the work and the mantle of Elijah and continue it in Israel as I see fit. And God bore witness to it with his work. Now, if I say God's called me to preach, then I ought to be able to get behind the pulpit and God bear witness that he's called me to preach. It ought to be more than my words or emotions. There ought to be a witness of God that worketh through what I say to prove that God's called me. And if God won't bear witness, then did God call? Lord, have mercy. We need discernment today to know the truth. There's a lot trying, and perhaps, in a lot of cases, trying out of a a right desire, but without the witness of God, It it just can't be. They saw, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, behold now, there be with thy servants 50 strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him up on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, ye shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men and they sought three days, but found him not. When they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, did I not say unto you, go not? So they witnessed Elijah be carried into heaven and they have said, Elisha, let us go look for his body. The spirit of the Lord may have, put his body down on top of a mountain or in some valley somewhere. We need to go find him and bury him. Now, Elisha says no, there's no sense in going. Elisha knew what had happened. He knew that God didn't leave his body, but it had more than likely burned it up. He was cremated as God called him into glory by the chariot of fire. But either way, that body was gone. God took that just as he did Enoch, just as he did Moses's. But they're going to go look, and I, I believe they're looking for this purpose now, that it might be known that his body wouldn't left scattered somewhere, but God called him out of here. He was gone. God took him, and he took him be it out of here. So they went and looked. Uh, uh, really, against the, the word of God, they went and looked, and they did not find him. They looked for three days. So that, I believe you could safely say, had Elijah's body been there, they would have found it but they did not find his body. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is naught, and the ground barren. So he they say to Elisha now, Elisha's now the man of God. His role has changed. Elijah's gone, and Elisha has stepped right in. Ain't it wonderful that God equips a man that he didn't have to to think on it or work on it for 10 years in order for him to be there. But God had him prepared and ready. And when the time come, the water parted. See, that's it's not by the study of man. He didn't have to go to seminary for 20 years to learn how to preach. He was ready for the work because God was the one doing the work. Now here, they're going to come to him and say, look, the city's doing good, and this is a nice place to live, but the water's bad, and the ground is barren. The water was poisonous. There was death in it. And he said, bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of waters, cast the salt in there, and said, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters there shall not be thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. So here's the first, I guess really the second, because he did part Jordan with the mantle of Elijah. Here they come and the water's bad. Now, you think about what's going on and you say, well, he put medicine in and that's what cured it. But he took salt in a new cruise, and that's what he throwed in the water. Now, if you put salt in water, it's not something that's going to bring life. You can water your crops with salt water, and it'll kill them. You can drink salt water, and it'll make you sick, and it'll make you dehydrated. It's the opposite. Salt is not good for water that you're going to use for life. And yet, that's what he does. And by doing this, it heals the water. See, God don't work in means that make sense to man. God's working in means that brings glory to him and to him alone. If he had thrown in something that had power to heal the waters and the waters were healed, then it would have been that that got the glory and not God. You see that? But by throwing in salt, this is evidence that God has done a work. And Elijah, Elisha says the waters are healed. There shall not from thence any more death or barren land. Now this was... And I, I realize this that it's very much an estimate of when this was written, but my Bible says about 896 around that time, uh, 896 B.C. that this was written that this happened. And the end of this book of Kings, uh, my Bible says, was 590, so that this this book of Kings was written. Some would say by Ezra, uh, and it was at least after 590 when he wrote about Zedekiah being taken and slain and possibly 70 years after that. But when he writes this, as this was written, and you know, this is not speaking of Elisha's day, but the day that this was written. So the waters were healed unto this day so that 400 Years or so after the fact, Ezra could go down to the spring down here at Jericho and the water's still good down there. What God does, God does forever. It didn't need to be undone. And God's cure didn't wear off. And people don't lose their salvation. But what God does is eternal. I got saved one night and I've never needed to be saved again That salvation that I received from God's hand is going to do me till the day I die. And when I die, if I die before the Lord comes back, it's going to do me from then until the final day when God ends this place. And from the final day all through eternity, that one salvation is going to last me forevermore. And he didn't bring it the way I thought. It wouldn't go to the clean waters, it wouldn't coming out and striking a hand over, but he accomplished it through a suffering servant, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he brought it to me by the weakness of the preaching of the gospel. But my God, when he brought it, salvation is forevermore. Thank God for it. We'll stop there and pick up there next time. Hope you have a wonderful week. Pray for us.